This morning we consider the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28. All authority is given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the close of the age. You may be seated. The Great Commission means simply the Great War. About this time, in Europe and spreading throughout the world, in 1914, was the Great War, as they called it. It was the first of a truly world war, not just in one continent, but stretching throughout the continents. It was a war that demanded a total commitment of the people if they're going to win it. And of course, that which was called the Great War ended in the armistice in 1918. But 21 years later, a world war broke out again, even more deadly than the first one. And so the Great War then was called the First World War, and we had the Second World War. Our parents and grandparents knew what it was like to live in a nation that was totally committed to war, it was put on a war footing. For instance, there were victory gardens in the backyard so that our military forces would have plenty of foodstuffs. There were ration coupons that were handed out so that the rubber and the steel that was needed for our war machinery would not be neglected by people having their own automobiles and whatever. And of course, when we think about the war footing, it was a total effort on the part of our people. When it comes to this great war and the Great Commission, it also is supposed to be a total warfare. Now, totality is in the Great Commission. There are four words there that remind us of that. All, 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 and always. All authority is given to me, Jesus says. We're to go to all nations. We're to teach them all things. And then he says, I'm with you always, even to the close of the age. So in the Great Commission, in the great war that we are involved in, there is a totality. There is a demand that all of us participate. All of us have our part in it. Now when you think about war, we can't help but look back at that time when Gideon and his people faced that dreadful scourge from the east. And let's look at that and just think about the efforts there when it comes to strategy and weaponry and personnel, and then move on to the Great Commission after we consider that analogy to remember that God is in charge. Now with the strategy of the time of Gideon, it was one that nobody in his right mind in the military councils of our world today would carry out. Remember now what had happened. 135,000 men armed to the teeth had swept across and were pillaging and plundering. 135,000, a vast army from the east. And then the call goes out and 32,000 answer the call to Manasseh and four other tribes. Now, you calculate there are 32,000 against 135,000. Well, that's not too bad. You know, that's one against four. The victory could possibly be had, but God says, no, there are too many, these 32,000. For they will vaunt themselves. And so then, the number is reduced down 
to 10,000. Well, now, one against 13, mm, I don't think they could win. That's God's strategy there. Still God says though, oh, nope, they will vaunt themselves. And so he reduces that 10,000 down to 300. And then in his strategy, he did something that military axioms and military strategists would condemn. He divides the force up. Now when you're facing an enemy who is vastly outnumbering you, you do not divide your forces up. You concentrate your forces on a point of decision. But God divides up this 300 into 100, 100, and 100. And then, of course, you think about the weaponry. What did they have? Now, the men of the East, you can just imagine what they had. They were armed to the teeth because they were interested in plunder and rapine. They were interested in vengeance. They were interested in getting rid of this people and taking their possessions. But what arms did Gideon's band have? Jars and torches and trumpets. And then when the jars are broken and the trumpets are sounded and the torches are there, what happens? Among that 135,000, they thought that these Israelites had infiltrated their lines. And so they turned on each other and started to kill each other. And then they fled. And then when it comes to the personnel, just look at that one individual, Gideon. He admitted, didn't he? He says, my clan is the least in the tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least in that clan. And then we know he is because, what does he do? He says, all right, now here is this fleece. Let it be dry and the ground all around it be wet. And then he said again, well now let it be wet and the ground all around it be dry. Yes, he was weak. And that's the way we are too when it comes to the Great Commission. That's why we need to hear those words that God gave to Gideon. I will be with you. And those passages come to mind as you look back at Gideon 300 and as you look at the great war that we're waging today. Nothing will be impossible with God. All things are possible with God. What is impossible with man is possible with God. And so then look at the Great Commission which brings on the great war that we're involved in. Now it's not a war of rapine and plunder like those 135,000 were carrying out. It's not a war even of the 300 chasing around the enemy. It's a war against the principalities and powers of darkness. It's a spiritual warfare. We are at war with the Muslims, the Hindus, the Buddhists, the Shintoists, the animists, and all others who worship their idols. But it's not a war to destroy them. It's a war to win them. It's not a war that is dealing out death, it's a war dealing out life. It's a warfare that is being carried on that people might be won from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light in which we now live and dwell and prosper. Well, you look then at the strategy of the great war that we're involved in. First of all, it's explicit. It's enunciated in the Great Commission. Go! That's the first start of God's strategy there. Now, there are a lot of folks that Remember that passage of Scripture that says, well, bear witness to those who ask you of the hope that is within you. You know, that's a picture of other people coming to you and say, well, now, why, why are you like you are? How can you act like that? What? Yes, that's true. We will do that when people come and ask us. But remember, in the Great Commission, it says, go. We are to go to other people. We are to reach out to other people. 
We'll bear witness when they ask us, but then we want to be going too. Some people think of Christianity as if it's a static warfare. As if we're under siege and we'll hold out till the bitter end. They won't win over us. No, that's not the warfare we're involved in. It's an offensive warfare. It's a reaching out. And you think about then, further strategy that God gives us? Make disciples of all nations. Make disciples. You know, there are mainline denominations today that they don't cross that out in the Bible, but they just basically ignore it. So they're out there in the world trying to alleviate the financial, social, medical problems that people are facing. And they look at the church as if the church is an institution on earth to fix up this earth and the people that are on this earth. No, the church is an institution to point people to heaven above and to prepare them for that onset of our Lord when He comes in the clouds. There's nothing wrong with having medical missions, but that is not the main purpose. It's make disciples. There's nothing wrong trying to alleviate financial and social problems that people have, but that's not the main purpose. The purpose is make disciples of all nations. That's God's strategy. And then the strategy goes on, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. I thank God that as a little baby, I was baptized in the Lutheran church. Baptism, so many people think today, is just a ceremony. You know, you dedicate your child to God. It's just a ceremony. No, it's not just a ceremony because the Word of God is involved there. Baptizing in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And Paul calls this a washing of regeneration and renewal in the Holy Spirit. So there's a lot more there than just words. Just as this is a lot more than just paper and ink. And then he says, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. You know, sometimes in the foreign mission field, the great evangelists come there with a lot of whoop and a lot of hollering and a lot of hoopla and the hallelujahs ring to the rafters. They just sound out in the air. And then after a while, silence. Because those evangelists don't hang around. There's not an effort to continue to teach the people. But see, God's strategy is teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And that's what we did in India. That's what your pastor and I did in India. We taught them all things. For instance, we had the Bible Institute and the BELC. So the men went through two years of instruction. And then they were declared pastors. They could go out. If some men could not come to the Bible Institute, then we taught them in the district meetings. And they went through our teachings in the district meetings. And then when they finished that, then we considered them to be pastors. But that was not the end of it for the men from the two years, nor the men from the district meetings. We continue district meetings every single month. Those men were told to come and continue to learn as we continue to teach or as their district chairman continue to teach. See, that's God's strategy. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And the only time when we stop that teaching, stop that learning, is when we see the Master, the Rabbi Jesus face to face. Now, here's this strategy that God has given. Now, the world considers this to be utter foolishness, but the Christian church has been advancing year by year, day by day, in the hearts of people as the Gospels proclaimed. When it comes to the weaponry in this great war, well, we all know what that is, don't we? Money. Right? Money. Because that's what makes the world go round. I mean, that's the grease 
that turns the wheel, that allows it to go forward, right? Money, that's what it's all about. No, it's not. Far from it. As a matter of fact, money can cause problems. Money can be interfering in the true weaponry and what should be used. When we talk about the true weaponry, Paul wrote to the Corinthians and reminded us that our weapons are not worldly, but they have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every proud obstacle to the knowledge of God, taking every thought captive to obey Christ. The weapons of our warfare, that's the Word of God. Go to Hebrews chapter 4 and remember that this is not merely paper and ink, but this is alive and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. That weaponry is all-powerful. Peter says it's an abiding Word. It's a living Word. And remember in Ephesians chapter 6, the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. That is what pierces. That is what goes into the heart and the mind and what grasps and holds and preserves for eternal life. And what guarantees us day by day when we sin on this earth that Jesus has forgiven us all of our sin. That's where we hear it. That's where we learn of it. That's the weaponry that we have and the weaponry that we must continually reach out to arm other people with. And when you think of this weaponry, you've got to remember that it's something that we cannot possibly have dreamed up on our own. The Word of God is the Word of God. I don't care how brilliant a man is, how great an orator he is, I don't care how smooth and facile his words are, it's the Word of God that wins. Whether it's a stumbling person who mumbles the words, or whether it's the clear and certain loud proclamation of the Word. It's the all-powerful Word of God. That's our weaponry. And this weaponry that we have is a beautiful thing. For not only is it contained within this book, but we got it in our mind. Remember those passages that I said to you today? I didn't read them out of a book, did I? I said them because they're in my mind. They're in my heart. And it's the same with you. And this is why we can go out. We don't have to carry that, that heavy Bible with us and go out. To, well, let me tell you now. Let me explain. No. Because the Word of God is in our mouth, because it's in our mind and in our heart as we've learned it. And then think about the personnel when it comes to this great war. Well, yes, we praise God for Missionary Ullman. We praise God for Missionary Evenson. And we pray to God that we'll have a third missionary who will be stationed in Tanzania. But that's not the end of the matter, is it? Because remember what we considered early on? All, 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 always. We said that this great war demands totality. It involves all of us in this. Now you say, oh, wait a minute now. Well, yes, we can give our offerings. Well, yes, we can pray for our missions overseas. And maybe some of our young people could go over as mission helpers, but we can't all really be involved in that. Don't count yourselves short. And don't count God short. Let me give you an example. In 1849, there was a congregation, Hermannsburg, in, Her in Hanover, Germany. And they got a new pastor there. Now, the new pastor's name was Louis Harms. Louis, in his early years, had been a rationalist. He thought everything, you know, depends upon reason. And so he looked at scriptures even with reason judging it. Now, what a terrible 
situation he was in until the Word of God, remember, the sword that pierces, till the Word of God got a hold of him, like John 17, 3, that Jesus was sent by God, and you have eternal life in him. And the Word of God grabbed a hold of Louis and changed him down through the years until finally he became a pastor and he came to Hermannsburg, the Lutheran congregation at Hermannsburg. Well, and then after a while he was preaching there and he preached on the Great Commission. And he said, go, make disciples of all nations. And then he said, and you know, we should be doing that. Oh, you can just imagine what some of the men in the congregation were thinking. What on earth have we got here? And yet, the more he taught, the more he spoke, the more the Word of God grabbed a hold of those people. And then they said, yes, we should be going. We, not them, not the missionaries. We should be going into all the world to make disciples of all nations. Well, they said, now what are we going to do? Well, we have to have men to go. So 12 men stepped forward. Big number, isn't it? 12 men stepped forward and said, we'll go. Well, now they wonder, well, what are we going to do? We've got these 12 men who say they sh they're willing to go. They've got to be trained. What are we going to do? Our church is too small. The building's too small here to go ahead and have classes and also all our other activities. So they built another building. And they had those 12 men go into that building and study there and prepare to go overseas following the Great Commission. Well, the men finished their instruction. And then they said, well, now what are we going to do? We've got these 12 men ready to go. What will we do? They built a ship. Yes, they built a ship. And they named it the Candace. Candace, Queen of the Ethiopians. Remember how Philip witnessed uh, that eunuch and he went back? And they wanted them to go then on the Candace to Ethiopia. Well, they couldn't get into Ethiopia because there was some Muslim sultan who was putting the kibosh on that. And so they went to Natal in South Africa. You just consider that history. Even today, the people who are the remnant of this outfit still have results throughout the world. We saw them in India, in the South, Evangel South Andhra Evangelical Lutheran Church. Now you see, the Great Commission is for all of us. All of us should be involved in that. And you never know how God will use you in the Great Commission. How do we go into Nigeria? Oscar Erpenstein, a member of one of our congregations in San Francisco, was teaching college classes and there were some Nigerian exchange students who came and he taught them of course but then he also met with them outside of the classroom and went over Bible study with them and they learned from him and they went back to Nigeria and they invited us to come to Nigeria how do we get into India a member of Ipswich South Dakota congregation John Rohrbach was over in Sri Lanka on a 4-H agricultural project and then he went over to the mainland of India and he got sick and he went in the hospital. And Pastor V.S. Benjamin came and visited him and that's how we got into India. How do we get into Togo? A member from Middleton, Wisconsin here, Eleanor Beatty was over in Togo visiting her husband's relatives. And she looked around in Lomi and she is just wondering now, I wonder if there are any Lutherans here. And she found a man, she started to talk with him and he said he was a Lutheran. And then he said, you bring, you bring your missionary in here and I'll gather men in my, my room and my house and he can instruct them. And that's how I started to teach men in this man's house in Lomi, Togo. That's how we got into Togo. You see, this is our God at work here. Nothing is impossible with him. All things are possible with God. 
What is impossible with man is possible with God. And we are, yes, Gideon's band. We are few in number compared to so many. We are small, but what do we have? We have the all-powerful Word of God. Remember what Paul said in Romans? I'm not ashamed of the Gospel because it's the power of God unto salvation. And you think about that jailer kneeling down before Paul and Silas of Philippi and saying, what must I do to be saved? And that's what we want to do. We want to reach out to people that they ask that question and then we can give them the true and vital answer. Right now today, throughout the world, it's not just us working with our numbers. We have over 104,000 souls who are in fellowship overseas. We're working with 14 plus sister churches overseas. It's not just us though. Wycliffe Bible Society has got over 700 translators working on thousands of languages and dialects that everyone may hear in their own language the wonderful works of God. It's a warfare that we're all involved in, Christians throughout the world, to reach out. Now we've sung some wonderful hymns that really are exhilarating. You know, Stand Up for Jesus, Onward Christian Soldiers. The old French national anthem also has some, some good phraseology there that we can apply also with regard to our situation. Allons au fond de la patrie, le jour de gloire est arrivé. Contre nous de la tyrannie, les standards sont clans élevés. Let us be going, it says. The day of glory has arisen. Christ has arisen upon us. And the banner of tyranny has been raised. Think of the tyranny of Satan. Think of all those people that Satan holds in his tyrannical grasp. Aux armes, citoyens, formez vos bataillons, marchons, marchons. To arms. To arms. Form your battalions and let us be on the march going. Amen.